you. Um, so as Liz was telling you, um, my area of expertise is marine ecology, and um, I do a lot of work in uh, polar marine environments, especially in the last few years. And today I'll be talking to you about some research that I've been doing with colleagues from across the UK and Norway, looking at how um, changes in sea ice impact marine ecosystems and their services. And we know that um, the Arctic is undergoing very rapid change. It's uh, warming more than anywhere else on the planet. So now uh, the Arctic, uh, on average, is about nearly approaching two degrees warmer than the climatic average. And this is causing um, a dramatic change in the ice scape of the Arctic and in its distribution of sea ice. So here we're seeing an animation over an annual cycle. So we know that sea ice changes over, over the season. Um, its largest extent is at the, um, at the end of winter in March. Arctic sea ice reached its annual minimum extent September 19th. And again, September 23rd, 2018. Okay. So this is basically showing an animation of um, sea ice extent over the Arctic and we can see, for example, um, at the end of the growth season uh, the, or the seamount season that um, the Arctic has, has lost a lot of sea ice. This is in 2018, this is a sea ice minimum at the end of September and you can see that the extent is um, is much less than the climatic average, which is shown by that red line there. So the um, decrease in sea ice is about 2 million um, square uh, kilometers. This is around the size of uh, Greenland. So there's a lot of sea ice that has been lost over time. This is again showing um, <coughs> decline in sea ice from the late 1970s where um, uh, satellite data became available up until um, quite recently, up to 2018. And we can see that although sea ice is declining, there is a lot of interannual variability in uh, sea ice extent. And we're still trying to understand more about what's driving these interannual changes. In addition to the sea ice cover, which is what's shown there, the sea ice is also getting younger and thinner. Um, and that's what's shown in this figure here. So um, <coughs> the uh, panel um, to the uh, left is showing the sea ice extent. Um, and the, the color, the brightness, is showing multi-year ice. So the brighter the, the, the ice, the um, thicker the ice is, the older the ice is. So, we can see in the uh, 1980s that there was much more multi-year ice, uh, older ice, and that um, now we are in a, uh, a time where not only is the sea ice extent less, but there's a lot of seasonal instead of multi-year ice. So this is ice that is created and melting over the course of a year. So it doesn't stay around um, year on year, and it's also getting thinner. So what my research looks at is um, the bottom of the marine food chain, and we're looking at photosynthetic organisms, like the crops we were talking about um, earlier in today's sessions, trying to, to optimize crops to feed the world. 
Phytoplankton are like plants. They need nutrients, they need fertilizer, and they need light. And um, light is actually the limiting factor in the Arctic because we have the polar night in, in many, um, well, in the central Arctic, it's, it's completely dark for several months of the year. But these um, cells become alive when, when light becomes available. And um, the interaction between these tiny little microscopic plants and, and sea ice is quite intimate. Um, they grow under the ice um, earlier in the season as, as light becomes available. And then they tend to bloom, the phytoplankton bloom, um, at the sea ice edge. And this is due to different uh, physical processes that happen between um, the, the open ocean and the what we call marginal ice zone, the ice, sea ice edge. So it's a particularly productive region and of course phytoplankton um, absorb light, they transmit that, that solar radiation into food that supports the rest of the marine food chain. And what's really nice about being an oceanographer and, and, and looking at these organisms is we can see them from space. This is a coccolithophore bloom. Uh, for those of you who, who know what coccolithophores are, they're tiny marine algae with little shells of calcium carbonate. In addition to making the ocean green, which all phytoplankton do because they have chlorophyll, they also make the ocean brighter. So they make it this kind of milky white color. And so these blooms can, can, can spend large areas of the global ocean. Um, you know, a, a bloom the size of the UK is not unheard of in the North Atlantic. So these, these blooms are, are quite important in terms of providing food for uh, the marine ecosystem. And the interesting thing is that although we can see them from space, they're microscopic, so you know these tiny cells we cannot see with the naked eye, and yet they, they play such an important role. Um, half of the photosynthesis on our planet is, is due to these uh, tiny microalgae um, doing photosynthesis throughout the global ocean. Now, um, satellite oceanographers and, and marine ecologists largely believe that Sea ice is kind of a barrier for light. It doesn't allow light to transmit um, through to the, um, this, the, the ocean into the um, water lying beneath the sea ice. So really it's a very poor place for photosynthesis to occur because there isn't sufficient light for the cells to absorb and, and fix carbon. And, um, and this is because of snow and ice. Um, basically um, uh, reflect solar radiation away from the Earth. And although this is good for climate, regulating climate, because that's basically um, uh, reflecting heat back into the atmosphere, cooling the surface of the planet, for photosynthetic organisms, um, it poses a real problem. However, we found um, in a, a research expedition in, um, in 2011 that um, we can get these large ex extensive blooms under the ice. This was very unexpected. So um, this panel's, no, the panel with the blue, oh, great, <laughs> is um, showing um, 
panel here is showing what, what's happening under um, uh, conditions where there isn't sufficient light, so it's blue water. And then once light becomes abundant, we're getting this, this very prolific under ice bloom. And this is because, um, because of there's, a, there's a thinning of the sea ice, because it's younger ice, more light is being transmitted through the sea ice um, to the algae growing below. And this is, this is causing very favorable conditions. These are some of the most intense blooms we've witnessed in the global ocean. So this is really transforming our view of how um, marine ecosystems might be responding to changes in sea ice conditions. Now, to try and monitor this is, is very difficult. We could do it by ship, which is uh, shown here. Um, but this is very time-consuming, costly, not only in, in terms of um, uh, ship time and, and crew and, and, and scientific effort, but also in terms of fuel. We could do ice camps, but then the problem is, for one thing, doing ice camps on very fragile thin ice is a risk, and there's also a risk in terms of the wildlife. So another option is to use new technologies that are just coming on stream uh, to monitor the Arctic. So in addition to the conventional uh, ship studies that, that are done uh, routinely by the International Oceanographic Community, the idea is to use a variety of different platforms to survey around the sea ice edge. We're using robotics for that. And for uh, monitoring under the sea ice using um, other sensors that are kind of moored to the sea bottom. Um, some of you have heard about Bodie McBoatface. Um, this is uh, for the non-UK um, uh, participants in the audience. Um, we had a, a little competition to, um, to name our new polar ship, and this was a winner, but um, NERC felt that that was not an appropriate name, so we're naming it after uh, Sir David Attenborough. And instead, we had our little submersible uh, being called Boating at Boatface. So, so it kind of uh, made the people who, who voted for Boaty feel uh, quite happy. And this, this autonomous vehicle is used to monitor um, biology and the physics of the ocean under ice. Um, the one that we used in the Arctic is, is a similar, a close relative of Boaty. It's called a glider. And um, what it does is it basically profiles the ocean. It uses buoyancy to regulate its, its depth, and it propels it um, through the ocean, and it transmits to a satellite. Um, it's very good for doing it in the marginal ice zone because it still goes into open, open water, so it can transmit the data. The, Ice avoidance systems is still quite primitive on these um, autonomous vehicles, so there's still a lot of caution that needs to be taken. So if we want to get really close to the ice um, ocean boundary, uh, where most of the biology is happening, we have to use other uh, platforms. Nevertheless, the glider does provide very high resolution data on the saltiness, on the temperature, which of course is very important for governing the biology because it regulates the density of, of seawater. And we can get much higher resolution from the glider than we can get from conventional shipboard measurements. So that's what we can measure on the ship. And we can see 
With the glider, we can see a lot more smaller uh, structures, especially at the surface. Um, we can see, for example, this freshening of the water, which is really important for driving these, these phytoplankton blooms. And this is just um, a video showing over time that we can uh, measure with these gliders uh, the, the saltiness, the temperature, as well as the chlorophyll. Because the chlorophyll fluoresces um, red light, we can measure that on the gliders. It's, it's little sensors there. And we can look at the relationship between um, salinity and temperature, which drives the density and how that's affecting the biology. And the last um, way we can kind of survey under the ice, because the gliders are, are kind of um, not quite ready to do that, is to use seal tags. And that's the other um, way in which we can get really good um, data under sea ice. So like the glider, these uh, seals dive um, to quite deep depths. Um, in the water column, they, when, when they surface, they transmit data up to a satellite so that we can, again, look at the, the saltiness, the temperature, and, and the chlorophyll. These tags were originally put on the seals to actually find out what environments they favor and how their behavior is changing in response to um, the changing uh, ice scape. But now we can use this data to find out more about what's going on with the general ecosystem structure and, and especially these under ice blooms which are, are believed to be quite important. Um, and towards the end of this, this talk, I know I only have a few minutes left, I'd like to discuss a little bit more about some of the challenges. Um, as an env environmental scientist trying to study uh, the changing Arctic, one thing is that we know that the Arctic is warming, and this is a, quite a dramatic um, um, uh, case in which in 2018 we started our, our campaign in the Arctic, um, basically sampling in the polar night and in the springtime, and we can see that 2018 was a real anom anomalous year where we had much higher air temperatures than um, what is the climatic normal uh, conditions. In fact, when, when we were out on the polar ship, um, it was raining on deck rather than snowing. So this is just uh, a tremendous uh, difference in, in the conditions in just a few years. So the Norwegians were, were very surprised by the change in, in these uh, conditions. And they've been sampling the Arctic for, for over 50 years so, um, routinely. The other thing uh, is that the, the change in, in these phytoplankton in these um, lower trophic levels have a real impact on fisheries in particular. So these, these phytoplankton, they, they form the base of the marine food chain. The blooms are a very important event in the, in the calendar of the marine ecosystem, so a lot of organisms are primed and waiting for this bloom event to happen. If that bloom event changes, so if there's a change in the phenology, which is the timing of that bloom, that could have detrimental effects for um, the higher trophic levels. In addition, um, changes in the locations of these blooms is also a factor. So the populations of 
marine organisms may move. And again, uh, another uh, important factor is the diversity of these cells, of these tiny phytoplankton, and how that might affect the nutrition of um, the, the small animals that eat the phytoplankton and then the fish that eat those, those tiny microscopic animals. So there's a lot of change going on and it's, it's really starting to affect uh, the fisheries in subarctic and Arctic uh, environments. So this is an example from the Barents Sea. This was published in Science just in the last week showing that um, a lot of U.S. Um, uh, fisheries in the Barents Sea are starting to show changes in um, their productivity as sea ice is retreating. And it's having a real impact on the indigenous communities that rely on sea ice for hunting, for fishing, and also for transport as well. Like this, this was quite an interesting article because they were talking about how commercial flights used to be able to come into this remote island in the Barents Sea, and now they can only get food being supplied by helicopter, and that's causing a tremendous expense in things like fresh produce. Um, and it also means that they can't also travel off the island very readily. So this is having a real effect on their, their way of life, on their, their nutrition, on, on many aspects of, of their um, traditional way of life. On a positive note, I thought I would end by talking about um, some developments in the fisheries um, management in the Arctic and that there is a uh, ban on commercial fishing fishing in the Central Arctic Ocean Basin. And this agreement was just signed um, last fall, about seven months ago, by um, nine nations, including the US, China, and Russia, as well as um, the EU member states. So um, those nations make up, I think, 75% of the global GDP. So there is a recognition that there, there is a problem here, that we really don't understand how the marine ecosystems are gonna respond, how that's gonna affect these, these global fisheries. And so this moratorium is a, a way of kind of protecting um, this very valuable resource um, for the future. Of course, on the downside, you would hope that, you know, in addition to uh, dealing with the, the problem with the fisheries, they would actually deal with the problem of climate change in a more rigorous way. But at least this is a small step forward. So I'd just like to conclude by um, thanking some of my colleagues um, we can, um, who have participated in many expeditions in the Arctic and in the Southern Ocean. Um, this is just a few from, from the last Arctic um, set of Arctic expeditions and that this is a real group effort that it involves not only scientists like myself, it involves the ship's crew, it involves a lot of people back in the UK working out all the logistics to allow this, this type of science to happen. So I'd like to thank you for your attention.